Hey, let's just close our eyes. Let's just stay in a posture of prayer here as we start. Like we talked about the other week, um, let's just remain in a posture of worship, like even beyond the music. Jesus, you're here. And your presence is so good. We honor your presence this morning. We don't need anything else. We don't need words. We don't need excellence from our own hands. Your presence is enough. Jesus, teach us to tend to your presence. Teach us to tend to your presence. Teach us to carry the weight of your glory. When we need to fall, let us fall. When we need to stand, let us stand. I just pray that you would um, in this time, Jesus, just captivate us from the oldest in the room to the youngest. From the one who feels the closest to you to the one that feels the farthest, would you just captivate us this morning, Jesus? We want to be tried by fire this morning. In your fire, your refining fire. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen. So, I just feel like the Lord just is like, has us in a really deep place these days. Um, and you know, it's like a really simple place too. Um, like this sermon series is, as Joel started last week, is on being Christ-centered. And I feel like increasingly our worship in this season has just been just that, Christ-centered. And it's like the simpler it's getting, um, the more of his presence we're experiencing. And um, so Joel set a really good tone last week in this, sermon, in this series. It was short. It was simple. Um, and I just feel like if I were to do anything but that today, I would be doing a disservice to you and to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to deliver some sort of attempt at an eloquent speech or dissection of the passages in the Bible. Um, but I just want us to remain in this beautiful place of simplicity. This message of being Christ-centered, it's a simple one, and it always will be a simple one. And yet, it means everything. To be Christ-centered will cost you everything. And at the same time, it will satisfy the deepest longing in your soul. Those that find life in this simple message of Jesus will live forever in joy and abundant life in him. Don't you want that? I know, that's what we want. So this morning, um, I just want to read the passage, um, which is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 
And I want to reflect on a couple of things that we find in it. And then I want to share a dream with you that I had this week that I feel um, was from the Lord and just pertains to us as a body right now. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to read this passage. John 1, um, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John, who, from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so only that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I need to get a drink real quick. So the first thing that I see in this passage is that Jesus is the living word. I'm going to say a bunch of things this morning that I don't think are new. So I don't think I'm revealing anything new under the sun this morning. But nonetheless, I'm just going to speak it. But the first thing that this passage makes very clear to us is that Jesus alone is the living word. There is no other living word or truth out there. It is only Jesus. He alone is the way and the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. And we know it, but we need to keep knowing it because I think increasingly there are just other voices that want to say otherwise. That it's not Jesus, it's something else. It's within your own self. You can find truth in yourself. Or it's Jesus and it's something else. You know, Jesus is a way and there's other ways. And 
this passage just settles that once and for all. Jesus is the living word. And we know, I don't have a Bible with me, but we know that the Bible is an inerrant, God-breathed, um, I don't know the word, it points to Jesus, is what I want to say. Um, but as we've said in this place before, the Bible alone, it is not God. Jesus is the complete and living word. Um, the Bible is entirely true. It is God-breathed, and it is the clearest picture of God that we have. It's the clearest picture of Jesus that we have. If you want to know what Jesus is like and what following him is like, we must read our Bible. We have to know this Jesus that is the living word. And the Bible is the clearest picture. But it is because it is God-breathed and it points us to Jesus. Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. Everything, and we say this all the time, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. It's about one person. And I was recently um, struck by something that um, in Genesis 1, you know, it gives an account of the creation of the world. And actually, our passage this morning, um, there's a lot of parallels between the two. Um, and as this passage says, Jesus is the light of the world. Um, the very first thing recorded from the mouth of God in Scripture, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it's like in his very first words that Scripture records, Jesus was, or God was pointing to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Everything from beginning to the end, Revelation is all about the return of Jesus, Jesus our coming King. From beginning to end, the entirety of the Bible points us to Jesus. And so we must know that book. We have to know who Jesus is. He is the living word. Everything in creation points to Jesus. Everything that we experience in creation that is good is a, um, it, it points to him and his fullness and his completion, like the water that you drink, right? Like you ever been parched and had a cool glass of water, like how refreshing it is. But then, you know, soon enough, you're thirsty again. But that's pointing to Jesus, who is the living water. Drink from me and you will never thirst again. How about food that we eat? We just did a 21-day fast. Having that really good meal that satisfies hunger, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. But eight hours later, you're hungry again. Or maybe less for some of us. But what does David say? You satisfy me more than the richest of feasts. That meal's good, but it's only temporary. What I ate yesterday is gone. <laughs> but Jesus is the bread of life, and he satisfies more than the richest of feasts. I think about the music that we consume and listen to. Music speaks to a very deep place in our soul. We are just talking to someone yesterday who um, is considering going into music therapy. Music is a healing thing in us. And I think for most of us, we connect. I would contend all of us, but maybe it's most of us. Connect to music in some one way or another. Um, 
but you know why? It's, it's because God is deeply connected to music. And what we experience in music here, like how it can like bring, it can bring us to a place of deeper worship. It can bring us to a, a place of vulnerability and reflection. Um, man, it's nothing like what we're going to experience in heaven. Like, I think, honestly, if we experienced for a second the songs that were being sung in heaven, I think we would be so overwhelmed we would die in these bodies. Like, I don't think we could handle it. But music is taking place. Worship is taking place 24-7 in heaven. These things are good, but they are temporary, and they are to point us to Jesus. So the Bible points us to Jesus, and creation groans and points us to Jesus. Jesus is the living word. He is the way and the truth and the life. So I want to share this dream that I had this week. Um, I don't dream often in this way where I feel like it's from the Lord. I hope it keeps happening. But um, anyway, in this dream, it was really short. Um, It was, you know, how dreams work. I don't know what was happening before. But when I became, like, aware of what was happening... Um, I was standing around a group of people, and Christine, you actually came up, and you said, (laughs) in this dream, you said, hey, um, we're not going to call, like, I think you were talking about the gathering, like our gatherings. We're not going to call it worship anymore, because, like, and you said something like, because people worship many different things, or in many different ways. We're going to call it unleavened worship. That's all that you, you said that I was, like, aware of. And I remember very clearly those words, unleavened worship. And in the dream, it didn't really make sense to me. And I woke up and I was like, whoa, like, what does that mean? Unleavened worship. So I remembered that like unleavened bread was something that was present in the Bible. Um, And so I did some research just to like look this up. I actually Googled the term unleavened worship. And there are people who use this phrase. Um, And so I was just reading some things, but I felt very, I felt like this was from the Lord. And it was for us as a people. Um, And so I just want to share a couple of things about this unleavened bread um, that shows up um, at different points in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Um, So every year for Passover, the Passover feast, the Israelites would eat unleavened bread. And it was to remember their... um, their deliverance, their exodus from Egypt. I guess when they left Egypt, it happened quickly, and they did not have time to let the bread rise. So they just prepared unleavened bread, and that's what they ate. And so this, this, this symbolism, and it was to remember the exodus, that God delivered them from their enemies. And it was something that they would eat in remembrance of that. Um, and if you look in the Bible, it seems like leaven almost always represents sin, unless it's talking about the kingdom of God, but it almost always represents sin. The idea that like once leaven, yeast, like gets into the bread, you can't get it back out. Once it's in there, it's in there. Um, And it just symbolizes that like only Jesus could cleanse us again. Only Jesus could make us unleavened bread again. Um, We cannot do that ourselves. And so the first thing I believe the Lord was saying through this is that he's just making our worship more pure and singularly focused on Jesus. And I think we're experiencing that right now. Um, When you say that, (laughs) I think we're experiencing a purifying and a focusing that is Christ-centered alone. And it's not that we weren't before. Like, this whole thing isn't that we were wrong and now we need to be right. I think God is just inviting us into something deeper, into something more beautiful, into something better. Um, I believe he's purifying our worship and making us 
even more singularly focused on Jesus. So that's the first thing, I think, from this dream and this word of on, on unleavened worship. Um, the second is that, just factually, so bread doesn't rise without leaven. Um, it needs it to rise, and without it, it remains, the words that I found were flat and dense. <laughs> and I think this is totally what the Lord is doing in us. We remain flat, we carry the humility of Jesus, and we remain dense so we can carry the fullness of Jesus. I believe God is making us into a body of worshipers who never stop worshiping, who never leave this posture of deeper humility and never stop carrying the fullness of Jesus. That, like Kiara said it this morning, that humility makes space for the fullness of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, that's what his presence is doing in some ways. It's crushing. It's bringing us lower so we can receive more of his fullness. And I believe that that's something that Jesus is doing even more so in this season. And it lends itself to that word that Joel um, shared last week. Um, you know, um, how someone had given a word that there would be times where we would fall under the weight of God's glory and there were times where we would be able to stand. He would give us the capacity to stand under the weight of his glory. The posture of our bodies doesn't matter whether we're on the ground or we're standing. Like, we are able to remain flat and dense, full of humility and full of Jesus. Um, and so... <laughs> um, yeah, the Lord wants to make us a people who are utterly consumed by Jesus. Unleavened bread. And just to flip it real quick, <laughs> I don't know if this ties into the dream, but the one place in the Bible that I see unle uh, um, yeast and bread talked about in a positive way is when Jesus says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that gets into the dough and it permeates the whole thing. So that's what, he's, that's what we want, right? He's making us unleavened, pure, and like singularly focused on him. And then it's his, it's his yeast. It's like his, his that gets into the dough and it permeates, right? Um, and, and this is not just for this gathering. That's the thing. Like, it's not just so we can come and get zapped on Sunday, and then wait for the next week to get another zap. Like, God is increasing, like, our, under, like, our ability to discern his presence. Like, I feel it. Like, it's stronger right now. Um, and praise God for that. <laughs> um, it is just not, it doesn't exist just for this gathering. Like, what he's pulling us into, what he's inviting us into is for a lifestyle. It's for every waking moment. It's for every day. He is the bread of life, and he wants to consume us not just on Sunday, but he wants to consume us every day of the week, every moment of our lives. And honestly, church, like, as we go deeper with him throughout the week, like, our gatherings just will increasingly become more and more like heaven. They just will. Um, because it's not, he's not, like, trying to pull us back in on Sunday. It's like, we're already there. We're hungry. Let's go. Wherever you want, Lord like a rushing water, like an earthquake, or like a still small voice. Let's go. And take it even further than that. I think he wants to do this in our sleep. I was just having a conversation with someone in our church recently who keeps praying in their sleep. And they were telling me about this, like in dreams, like they're praying for someone. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And like the next night, literally it happened to me. Like a friend came up in this dream and I gave him a word and then we started praying, and I just was weeping and I, in my sleep. 
Jesus wants to consume us in our sleep. Every moment, 24-7 worship so that we can remain flat and dense. We can remain, we can carry the humility of Jesus and we can carry the fullness of Jesus. The other passage that came to my mind for this morning that um, is separate from John 1 is Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I just want us to think about what this means for a moment. Um, So in this passage in Hebrews 12, Right before it says that, it's drawing a comparison between in the Old Testament when the Israelites wanted to approach this mountain where God's presence rested, the command was given, don't come any closer. Don't step, don't set one foot on this mountain or you will surely die. There was this thing where like we couldn't, the people couldn't come up the mountain. They could not come close to God's presence. It was there and there was a reverence and an awe for it, but they couldn't come close. And then here, through the new covenant, through Jesus, now not only does God want to touch us, but he's a consuming fire who wants to consume us entirely. Like that is what Jesus wants to do in us. And both mean death, by the way. In the Old Testament, if you touch that mountain, your body, physically, you would die. But now it's even a step further. It's like death to self. To be consumed by Jesus means we are dead to ourselves. Dead to ourselves, consumed by the consuming fire of Jesus. And as I, I, if you remember on the 9th, I read a passage from 2 Corinthians, but it says, as we hold his death in our hands, so we also hold his life in our hands. That's what it means. To be dead to self and consumed by Jesus. So if we consider Jesus as this burning, consuming fire, like what is a consuming fire going to do to anything it touches that is ready to burn? This is what came to me this week, just in my prep. You know what the tab ultimately exists for? You know what we exist to do as the bride of Christ before anything else, before mission, before signs and wonders, before making disciples? Um, we were created to burn with Jesus as the bride of Christ. We were created to burn as lovers and servants of Jesus who follow him and tend to his presence. You exist to love him and to glorify him and to enjoy the glory of his fullness forever. To be fully alive in the living word. Everything else comes from that place. We exist to burn for Jesus. It's what we were created for. We who follow Jesus are born of God. We are deeply loved children of God. And we exist to worship God. And like I said, not just in a gathering, not just on a Sunday morning, but with our whole life laid down. This is what unleavened worship is. This is what we're being invited into. And here's a beautiful part of this passage. Out of his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. 
out of that place of fullness when we are burning and consumed, life laid down with Jesus. Out of that place, we receive grace upon grace, grace for our lives and grace for the mission of Christ. When the bride of Christ burns for him alone in this place of unleavened worship, the fullness of Christ, the fruit that pours out of that fullness is deadly to all the enemy's schemes and it is abundant life for the world. We burn with Jesus and out of that communion, we get to do mission with Jesus. We do mission out of his fullness. How many of you know no one knows how to do mission like Jesus does? He's way better at it than we are. Way better. And honestly, he cares about it way more than we do. If we think that we can care about mission enough on our own, we are kidding ourselves, church. We don't have enough. I can't truly love people without Jesus. I can't truly lay my life down and give to someone who doesn't have when I have it first without Jesus. I can't see the broken. I can't see the poor. I can't see the one who needs an encounter. I can't see that stuff without Jesus. He's the one who knows. He's the one who has the heart for it. It's like being tethered to him, consumed by him, and then we get to share his heart for mission. Unleavened worship. Church, what if we get to see the glory of God as we've never seen it before? What if we get to reap a harvest like we have yet seen, like we haven't yet seen? Can you imagine? Oh, Jesus, make us like unleavened bread, unwilling to live for anything else, fully alive in your fullness, the living word, the light of the world. Don't you want to know what it's like to be fully alive in Jesus? To be wildly burning for him, consumed by the living word. I do. Make it so in us, Jesus. So back to John 1. I said before, the first thing that stood out was Jesus is the living word. And here's the other... um, thing that I pulled out of this passage for this morning. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, it says. He is the light in the darkness. He is the light in our suffering. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the first thing I want to say about suffering this morning in light of the light of Jesus. Whatever you are going through this morning, just know that the darkness that's in your life ultimately bows to the name of Jesus. It's causing you pain right now, but there's a day coming when it will be defeated once and for all. It's temporary. The King of Kings is coming back. That day's been promised to you. And know also that in the meantime, it's in your suffering where the consuming fire of Jesus can catch most quickly and deeply 
and intensely in your life. And the places where your weakness and brokenness are most apparent, those are the places Jesus can meet first. He is the light in our suffering. You know, as I've experienced just personally like a deeper walk with Jesus over the last couple of years, um, of all the things I've seen Jesus do in our gatherings and in our community, um, of all the wild moments of corporate worship I've been blessed to be in the room for, praise Jesus. Um, you know the thing <laughs> um, that has like most pulled me closer to Jesus, that has most showed me more about his heart, that has most like lit a fire in me, has actually been seeing the living word come to life in the places of my pain and suffering. More than seeing people healed, more than being struck by the glory of God in his presence, it's been the places of suffering. Truly, my suffering has actually been a blessing, one that I wouldn't trade away. Have you ever experienced suffering in this same way? Jesus is the light in the darkness, and from his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. As I was reflecting on this um, this week, I think I'm starting to understand what Paul meant in Romans 5 when he said, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Do you hear those three things that Paul mentions? Perseverance, character, hope. Can we really get through this life, finishing this race that Jesus has marked out for us without those things? I don't think so. <laughs> hear me this morning. Your suffering is forming in you things that you need to finish this race. How can suffering be what produces hope? There's no book for sale out there that can truly teach you how to strengthen your hope in the face of suffering. If somebody tries to sell you a book that claims to do this, do not give them your money and waste it on that book. <laughs> a book can't tell you that. Words on a page can't tell you that. Only a person who suffered unto death and was buried and made a mockery of death and was raised to life as the light of all the world can give you hope in the midst of your suffering. Only he can do that. Only a person, Jesus, the living word, the light of the world. Only he can redeem our suffering. about you, but I want to persevere in this journey. I want to finish this race well. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, my life is over. And if suffering is what's going to produce in me that which I need to finish this race, then I say, let it be so in my life. I want to suffer. I need to be in touch with suffering like Jesus is in touch with it. The Bible says he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
we actually get to rejoice in our suffering for two reasons. One, because it's temporary and it's fading and the King of Kings is coming. And two, because even in our present sufferings, those things are being formed in us that will get us through to the end. In Acts 5, um, the apostles, this is right, Acts is the book that comes right after Jesus ascends back into heaven, and the disciples, the apostles, are filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and beginning to share the, the good news with all the world. It's the beginning of the church. And in Acts 5, the apostles um, were beaten by the religious leaders for preaching the gospel. So, Jesus is no longer there, but they have the fullness of Jesus on the inside, and they are now burning for his mission. And the religious leaders tell them to stop, and when they say they're not going to stop, they beat them. And then it says, after they were flogged and released, it says, the apostles left the religious leaders rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. Not only do I want to suffer so that I can experience the fruit that is going to help me finish my race, but I want to be close to Jesus at any cost. And if to follow Jesus means to follow him into suffering, and it does, he promises that then let it be so in my life, Lord, because I'll take nearness to Jesus however I can get it. Amen? And we know that it's not suffering separate from intimacy. Wherever we pick up our cross and follow Jesus into, in those places we will find him. And in many ways, our suffering keeps us tethered to Jesus. It keeps us tethered to the light of the world, the living word. And by the way, <laughs> to be counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus, that is the highest honor we could ever receive while on earth. There is no other prize or reward or recognition that could compare to that. Don't be fooled or by anything else that might lure you in. That is the highest honor. Let the only crown you ever receive be the eternal one you will receive one day as you stand next to Jesus in the fullness of his glory. Let's let that be the crown that we receive. Well done, good and faithful servant. Unleavened worship consumed by Jesus, rejoicing in our suffering, full of hope, poured out on mission, persevering to the end. Jesus is the living word. He is the light of the world. He is a consuming fire. And he's calling us deeper still. So I just want to give some space this morning, um, as we did last week, to just allow Jesus to make himself known among us, to allow us to respond to him, um, if you would just close your eyes with me. Jesus, we just feel you pulling us in deeper.
We feel you pull us, pulling us in deeper in this season. You aren't just coming for some of us, Jesus. I feel like you're coming for it all. You're a consuming fire. You want to burn in our entire person, our entire being. And so here, you are here right now, Jesus. You are present here in this room. And here in your presence, there's grace for repentance. There's forgiveness. There's a second chance. There's the formation of our perseverance and our character. There's a new hope, the restoration of joy. There's healing because you are present. So Jesus, as we just go into a time to worship and reflect, would you come and do what you do? Just say, Jesus, the consuming fire, come. Fan it into flame in us. And last night we were at a worship, little worship gathering, and Kiara brought up this verse from Isaiah. It says, a bruised reed, it's talking about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not crush. A, a smoldering wick he will not put out. It's not about what you have already. It's not about how strong your fire is. If it's weak, he's not going to snuff it out. All he wants is a yes. All it takes is a yes, Jesus. I wanted to die myself. I want to pick up my cross. I want to follow you. Wherever you lead, into suffering, into death. Wherever you lead, Jesus, come and consume me.